Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast. This is Antonio, and this is episode 90, 90 already, <laughs> for the end of January 2019. So yeah, wow, we've done 90 episodes, many of those with Tom, many of those with not Tom, <laughs> with other people, but... I'm just looking at the, I'm looking at the number on the screen and I'm realizing 90, I've done this 90 times. Ah, and uh, when did I start? 2013-ish, I think. So, yeah, I've been doing it for a little while. Uh, yeah, no, 90, I don't know. I feel like I should have more episodes. I feel like I've done it more, but I think I feel like I've done it more because I've been on other people's shows as well. So I've sat with this mic in front of my face staring at a, uh, what is it? A Dropbox paper screen with show notes on it. And, but it hasn't always been my show. I've been on other people's shows too. So it just feels like I've done it more times. But 90 is a lot. 90 is a big number. That means I'll be hitting, should I be hitting 100 episodes this year? Let's see. That's 10, 10 more, right? That's 100. So I, I can't do math right now. Of course it is. That's five months from now if I stay at two episodes you know, two episodes a month, right? Two, four, six, eight, ten. Yeah, five months from now. So sometime during the summer. Well, you know, 100 episodes. We'll 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 cross that bridge when we get. To, you know, I don't know. I don't know uh, what will be happening in the summer. Although I know it will be warmer uh, than it is outside now. So I'm probably be going outside shooting a lot more. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll see. So. Yeah, thanks for hanging in for 90 episodes. Tell your friends about me, you know, this show. Uh, spread the word, you know. It's a great way to get, you know, I like more people to listen, you know. So uh, I need you guys as my little army of marketers <laughs> to go out there and and uh, tell people whether or not you like the show or not. Well, tell them that you like it, you know. Let them hear whether or not they like it or not. So tell them that you like it, they'll listen, and then if they like it, they'll tell other people if they don't like it then they'll tell you that like what the hell are you telling me about the podcast this guy talking about photography all the time but then you'll be okay right uh anyway so i'm just going i'm going off nowhere right now because uh i'm by myself i was pl i really kind of wanted to have someone on the show but i uh today but i just didn't get around to it i doing a lot of domestic stuff there's been just a, i don't know it's been the past couple of weeks have been a little strife and stress induced uh stuff and some construction in my house or construction work going on today i just got a new dishwasher uh it was on before i could have the door open and it was on and you wouldn't hear it you know just like a normal you know like the real people as, as my wife would say a real a dishwasher the one that we had before sorry and this is going off on definitely on a side note here for a second but the one we had before Sounded like, you know, a, a Russian tractor. <laughs> and that's nothing to be bad about Russian gear. No, I was just joking. Maybe Russian tractors from, uh, you know, a long time ago. Or maybe, you know, tractors from Chicago. I don't know. Just it it sounded, it was pretty loud. And uh, I got a cat running around here. I want to make sure he doesn't make any noise. Well, you know, if you hear Opie screaming in the background. Anyway. That came in, and I was always nervous about that because, you know, well, it's, you know, even though you measure something three times, will it fit, you know, when it comes in? And it did fit, and the guy who was working here worked hard because we had to get the old one out, and the old one's been there for a long time. So anyway, that worked out. So, but, you know, that builds up stress, and 
I don't think about photography too much when I'm, when I'm doing all this other, you know, stuff. And that's probably the same with everybody on the other end of this podcast. You know, the real world creeps in and photography takes a little bit of a, a little bit of a beating because we got to do the other stuff that counts uh, as well in life. So, yeah. So, yeah, I kind of wanted to have someone on the show. And you know what? I got the rest of the year to find people to have on the show. So you get a chance to just listen to me in your head for however long this ends up being. So, yeah. Uh, so, little clue. Did you hear the opening? Was there something different? Now, this has been like this before. Now I'm back at it. But you heard something a little bit different at the beginning, right? Uh, I took out the switch to manual part uh, in the title. All right. So it just was Street Shots Photography Podcast on Hi, I'm Antonio. I got rid of Street Shot, uh, switched to manual. Now, um, I'm not entirely sure, and I just sort of decided this today, you know? I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, what am I going to talk about on the show? But I want to bounce this off of everybody who's listening. Uh, not sure if Switch to Manual is going to continue as any kind of entity. I mean, yes, I have a website and I have the philosophy and whatnot. And we had, uh, Tom and I made this podcast mainly because we were not doing a lot of our um, workshops. We wanted to continue the education of photography and why not do that with a podcast? So, of course, it was when we switched to manual street shots. But then after a long period of time, you know, Tom's gone. And I'm not sure what the future of switch to manual is yet because having so many pokers in the fire means it's a lot of stuff to have to pay attention to. And I just really. I'm trying to focus on my own photography, my own work, and what I got to get done. And adding like a little bit of a complication with switch to manual, in general, means like I don't know. Those things are my my attention's getting divided. And hang on a second, I think Opie is in here. I can hear him playing with something in here. Of course, he's going to make a his presence known. So. Anyway, uh, I had toyed with the idea of taking the name out of the podcast a little while ago, and I think I might have done a couple of episodes when the title was not there. And I'm doing it again, and I think I might stick with it. I do want to know if there's any feedback from you guys, like, you know, what's happening to Switch to Manual? Or, I don't care about Switch to Manual. You can lose it. It's just, you know, Antonio's voice. That's important. You know, if you got any feedback, please drop me a line, you know, on Twitter or Facebook. Um, about what you think, you know, uh, if, if Switch to Manual goes on hiatus, if it, w it might come back as something new, uh, it might come back as the same thing. I don't know quite yet, and I'm not even quite sure I'm getting rid of it yet. I mean, th this is all just like I'm rambling as I'm sort of thinking it out loud right now with you guys, and uh, forgive me about that. <laughs> I'm by myself. I got no one to talk to right now except for my cat. Uh, he's talking back to me, but anyway, uh, he's not going to help me with switch to manual. So anyway, let me know what you think. It's, you know, nothing's a done deal. Nothing's set in stone. The world is flexible. I'm flexible, but I think for now I'm going to try to focus the show since the show is mainly me now and not me and Tom, I might just take the switch to manual out of the name of the show and, uh, you know, put switch to manual on the back burner for a little while and see what happens. So, and you know, I might mention it now and then maybe I'll make it a segment, on this show, uh, I don't know, all right? But uh, if there's any kind of really strong objection, I don't think there will be. But if there is, let me know. And if there isn't, let me know. And just, you know, bounce some feedback back to me on Twitter or Facebook. And, uh, you yeah, know, we'll see where we go from that. So that being said, I'll go into the next thing. Oh, I've been on a 
I've been in a couple of shows, I think, since the last time the show was out. And I was just recently on uh, Shutter Time with Mac, not Sid and Mac. Shutter Time with Mac. He hasn't taken the name. Uh, he hasn't changed the name yet. And I was talking about some of my adventures in film, which I think I talked about in the previous show. I don't think I talked about getting the results back. But um, So anyway, I might repeat something that was on Shutter Time with Sid, uh, Sid and Mac, <laughs> Shutter Time with Mac. And uh, so uh, you might, if you've already listened to me, you might want to fast forward for some of this stuff. Um, but now you're just hearing it from me. I wanted to talk about my experience in shooting with my medium format film camera. It's a, uh, well, one of them. I have, I have uh, several. Uh, this one is a, a Minolta AutoCore twin lens reflex camera, which means it's, it's got two lenses, one on the top and one on the bottom. The one on the top is for viewing uh, while you're shooting. So it's your viewfinder lens. And then the one on the bottom is the one that goes to the film. And I bought a bunch of film, like I said, at the end of last year. And I've already shot two rolls on that camera. I still have a, another roll in a, another medium format camera, a Fuji GA645, which is a 6 centimeter by 4.5 centimeter camera. It's medium format. That's the film size. It's a little bit, it's not square like the Minolta is. The Minolta is 6 by 6 centimeters or two and a quarter square, as we used to call it. Uh, and the Fuji one is basically a medium format point and shoot camera. I haven't finished the first roll of film that I put in there. I don't think, no, I don't think I have. I still maybe have a couple of shots left. There's 15 exposures on that camera, and I just haven't taken it out to shoot lately. Although, you know what, I'm going on a trip later this week, so I don't know, maybe I should bring it, you know, because it's kind of easy to shoot with. I mean, you know what? I might bring in the trip, maybe. Uh, I'll tell you about the trip in a little bit. Anyway, I went out to Greenwood Cemetery with my Minolta. It was a cold day, and it was sunny. It was a nice day, but it was cold. And I decided to fire a couple of rolls through that cam my Minolta camera. Now, what was fun about that, or not fun, let me go back for a second. I haven't used that camera in at least uh, 15 years, perhaps longer, roughly. I don't, I don't know the last time I used it, but it was certainly... Not since I've moved to this neighborhood and we just passed our 10th anniversary. And so it might have been certainly a bunch of years before that that I used this camera. So I wasn't sure if the, the shutter is mechanical and I wasn't sure if the shutter still worked well. I mean, it did work. I could hear it firing, but I didn't know if it was, you know, timed to the uh, speed that it should be. So I didn't know if a 250th of a second was exactly 250th of a second. As these things sit around and they don't get used, they can, you know, sort of seize up a little bit or just not work as well. And I used my, so I was out in Greenwood and I brought my light meter uh, attachment for my iPhone, which was called the Lumu, L-U-M-U. It's a, a kick, it was a Kickstarter project uh, a while back and I bought one because I thought it was kind of cool. And it just plugs into your iPhone's, uh, plugs into my iPhone's uh, lightning port and there's an, uh, there's a light meter app, and it reads incident light meter reading, meaning it reads the light that is falling on a subject, so it's got a little dome on it. And it gives you uh, basically the intensity of the light that's falling on a subject. And, and from there, you have to make uh, some exposure decisions, whether to, to go higher or lower, depending on the subject you're shooting. You know, So if you're 
shooting snow or something else like that, it's going to, you know, you, you have to change your, your decision a little bit. So the Minolta that I've got doesn't have a built-in light meter. Actually, it does, but it doesn't work anymore because it was using uh, light-sensitive material that no longer is active. So I have to use a handheld light meter. Anyway, and I went in Greenwood, and Greenwood is pretty much, you know, shade or sun, and everything was gray, you know, because of the the, um, the monuments in there. And so uh, Greenwood is also one of the places I go to test new equipment all the time. I'll go get a new iPhone. I'll go out there. I'll get a new lens. I'll go to Greenwood and shoot. So this is kind of fun. It's kind of bringing this old camera back to new again. And so I went out to Greenwood, and I shot two rolls. It's very... Uh, slow experience because the camera first of all it's a film camera there's 12 exposures per roll of film it takes a little bit to load the film up uh, it's not like a 35 millimeter film where you just slap it in the back and you close it and you just wind the camera and you go uh, this uh, requires just a little bit extra you have a little paper backing on the film that you have to pull out and then you have to find the reel you have to stick it in you have to crank it and you have to line it up uh, to a starting point so it's, you know, it's a little hard to do with gloves on, you know, let me say that. But anyway, I had already loaded the film when I left, and then I was out there, I switched to the second roll. And uh, the focusing mechanism on this camera is underneath the lens, and, and it's a slider back and forth. And, it you know, I probably could use some oil <laughs> or something because it's really tight. So it's very, very slow and focusing. So that obviously slows me down, you know. And uh, there's a, the viewfinder has got a little pop-up magnifier that you can sort of look down at the viewfinder and, and really sh uh, fine-tune your focus. And uh, a couple of things about that experience. First of all, the, when you're viewing through the viewfinder, you're seeing through a different lens than the camera is going to record the picture with. So the lens that you're looking at is can be a little brighter, you know, uh, and it's very funny because it looks 3D. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to describe it. When you look with both eyes down at this viewfinder, if the viewfinder is far enough away and you look down, things look in the viewfinder as if it's a 3D image. And I don't know what, I don't know how to describe it other than that. And it's also bright, so you don't see any depth of field because there's no aperture on the viewfinder lens. So when you're closing, you know, you're looking at the exposure, and I was out there in daylight, so I'm shooting 400 ISO film. So it's a bit bright, and that's film speed is kind of high for sunny so you know i was kind of hoping to get shallow depth of field and what ended up happening was uh, the exposures were a little high because it was sun you know and so uh, and i was reading this off my light meter so i was but looking through the viewfinder things look really nice and shallow depth of field because the viewfinder lens is a fixed aperture you know it might be like f4 maybe or f3.5 or something like that. So everything just kind of naturally looks like it's, you know, um, like it's shallow depth of field. And so that's a you're you're not actually seeing the picture. You're not really getting a good preview of the picture. What you're doing is getting a preview of the frame. And the trick with a twin lens reflex is that the further away you are from your subject, right, the more accurate your viewfinder is because the the image um, lens and the viewfinder lens the the field of view will overlap at some distance right as you get closer to a subject though because one lens is on top of the other the viewfinder lens is on top of the uh, shooting lens you get what something is called parallax meaning uh, that 
if you frame only for the top viewfinder, what's going to happen is because the, the, the lens that's taking the picture is below the viewfinder lens, the actual framing is going to be slightly different because they're one's on top of the other. So the framing is going to look different. It's a it's the best way I can describe it right now. And so you have to compensate for parallax, meaning that you you um, set up your frame. You know, if something's close, let's say it's within three or four feet, right? So maybe a portrait of somebody. Now, I wasn't doing any portraits, but I was doing some sculptures. So if you're within that distance and and you frame up, and if you don't compensate for parallax, when you get your film back, the uh, let's say you centered the picture, The let's say you're shooting a sculpture, right? And you center the face in the in the top viewfinder when you get that film back the picture the subject will be let me think for a second it will be below the subject so there's a chance that you might cut off the top of the head or, or something because they won't be aligned so when you're shooting you kind of have to remember this idea of parallax and you have to compensate by tilting the camera up or tilting down depending on whatever your subject is uh, when you're really close. Now, again, when you're at a medium distance to far distance, the parallax is negligible and it doesn't affect the shot, but when it's close up, is. so it's another thing to think about when you're shooting. And this is only uh, with a, uh, well, this happens with rangefinder cameras. And if you think about this with a rangefinder camera where your viewfinder is separate from your lens, right? So you're looking at the, the you know, the world through the, uh, to the left of the lens, right? So everything is offset a little bit. And again, at greater distances, it doesn't matter. With more modern cameras, you'll get uh, a little parallax compensation in the viewfinder where the frame will sort of crop into your viewfinder where you can see, oh, yeah, well, I got that's my real frame. That's what the lens is going to see. Right? But this twin lens reflex camera is the one I have, at least doesn't have anything like that. So I have to, you know, I think I might have, you know, not thought about that when I was shooting. Or actually, I knew about it, but I was like, I just don't know how much to compensate for it. So anyway, it's sort of a long winded explanation, but every shot was very slow. And of course, I had to remember that these pictures are going to go, I'm going to send them away to get developed, right? And I'm going to get them scanned. And so they're going to cost a little bit of money per shot. So I really wanted to think about this. It's not like shooting digital, obviously, you know, and it's a little more expensive. But you know what? It's been the first time since I shot medium format in a long time, or film, I should say, in general, in a long time. So I was going to have some, I was going to have a little fun. And, you know, I'm shooting some stuff that I shot before. So, yeah, so I went out, shot, came back, two rolls. Uh, I waited a couple days to ship them out. I got a recommendation from, uh, uh, I don't remember who gave this. We might have been Mac. Told me about a place in California. I don't think he used it. He just had Googled something, and it was called The Dark Room, appropriately enough. And so I checked out their website, and their prices seemed okay. They seemed just like what I expected, uh, and I got the mail I made a created a mailer mailing label and I, I shipped it out and for two rolls of film what I ended up getting was processing so they got processed uh, they were going to get scanned at pretty decent resolution not the best or at least not the resolution I really would like but very pretty pretty good I mean not complaining too much and I can't remember I, I can't remember there was a tier of resolution higher I, mean, I found the price that I was paying. Like, I was trying to come up with the price per roll. So maybe there was. I have to check. Anyway, and uh, return shipping for the negatives. Uh, and it and, and I don't know if there was any tax. There wasn't any tax. For the for these two rolls, it came out to approximately $45. So it's like 22 
50 a roll and 2250 divided by 12 exposures. Well, you can do the math, right? So it's a little pricey. Uh, and that's mainly because I had them scan it. I think if I just had them process it, it would have been If I had them process it, it would have been cheaper. I don't have a film scanner, or at least not a scanner to do medium format. So I wanted to do all in one package. So I, I this is not economically viable for me if I'm going to sh keep shooting film. Um, spoiler, I am going to keep shooting film. Anyway, uh, I have to come up with a better solution. I might do this a couple more times because I'm really kind of slow at shooting film, but I, I'm going to come up with something better. I don't really want to process it at home because I've got, I live on an avenue and I got a lot of city dust and I got a lot of cat hair flying around. And if you get any of that on your film when you're drying it, you know, it is uh, not fun. I've, I've done processing at home before. And that stuff gets on your film, it dries in and it becomes part of the film. And then, you know, I get to spend all this time retouching it. And that was all the headaches of film that I don't want to go through again. I, I hate doing that. I hate sitting there and, you know, reconstructing the piece of film after I've scanned it just to get it back to normal and before I can even start working on it. So uh, that's, that's the kind of labor that I'm not getting paid for and I really don't care to do. So... Uh, I don't mind sending it out to have processed. I mean, that's the thing I want to do. The thing I could probably control the cost of is a scanner, so scanning them. So I might be in the market for some kind of scanner that can do medium format film, and I, I'm sure that will be a little bit of an outpour of money at first, but I'm sure it's going to save me because then I'm just going to send stuff out to get processed. And this place called The Dark Room, uh, they did a really good job. I got the uh, First of all, I got the scans back, and I was so excited when I got this email back, and of course it was in my spam folder, <laughs> I was like, what's taking them so long? I checked my spam folder, and it's like, your film is being uploaded now. I'm like, oh. So I downloaded all of those things. And then um, then a few days, well, not a few days, I think about a, five days later, I got the package of film in the mail. And the great thing was is that they, um, they, they cut the negatives into groups of three, and they were completely flat. You know, and uh, then the reason why it's great that they're completely fat, that means if I want to scan them myself, some other point, the film is not curled up. And curly film is a real pain to scan. So um, I might use these people for processing again. Again, their prices were not that bad. It takes a little bit of time because you're sending it out to California and then waiting for it to come back. And I'm... I'm not sure I like the weight, and I'm still going to look for some place in, in Brooklyn. I'm sure there's a place in Brooklyn, but, uh, you know, it's a thing about testing. I'm getting back into the slowly, I'm getting into the water, the medium format film waters very slowly. I'm in no rush, really, to do this again. It'd be kind of fun to do it nicely. So anyway, I love the way the film came back. They came back with a little contact sheet so I can see what's on the film. Each, each roll is in a separate envelope, and I can file those. So I like that. You know, there's something nice and neat about that. So it's just the scan. And the scans were really nice. I got them back and immediately I downloaded them to my phone. Uh, again, like I'm doing most of my processing on phone. These were the uh, JPEGs. They scanned them. They're really nice sizes. And I, I started working on them in Lightroom and I output them. I was really happy with them. I mean, I haven't been really kind of thrilled with photography in a while. And that was really thrilling to get the film back. And it just, it was, a, I don't know. I just... Uh, something I remember I, every time I used to send my film out, it was very exciting to get it back. Even if it was for a job, you know, even if I got it back in three hours, whatever it was, it was always this nice gratifying, um, I was uh, gratifying satisfaction 
to uh, get the stuff back and not see it immediately. And this, I mean, yes, I waited a week plus to get these scans back, you know, and the, it was worth waiting for because you know what? I actually do have my other camera and when I could take other pictures and so I can distract myself from the wait. And all of a sudden this little surprise of the film came back. So anyway, uh, we're going. Okay, so I shot the film. Scanner, great. Uh, Greenwood stuff, great. Okay, so the spoiler I said is that I'm going to do this again. I mean, I've got, I still have like two, four, six, seven. Well, I've got 16 rolls of film left because I got, I've shot two. I got one lying around. Yeah, there's 17 rolls of film left. Uh, I really want to shoot that stuff. So um, I'm going on a trip the end of uh, today's Tuesday. So on Thursday, I'm going to Florida to visit a family member who is, um, he's very, he's very old and this is his 90th birthday. And, uh, there's a, there's a possibility I won't be able to see this guy anymore. And I, you know, this idea of bringing my medium format, um, snapshot camera, the Fuji, uh, and taking pictures there, uh, during this time that we're going to see him for his birthday. I don't know. It might might be worth doing. The black and white negatives uh, of family members, so it might be another thing to try. So I think I might bring that, because I'm not going to bring a lot of camera gear with me. I, you know, This is a trip of a party and seeing this uh, seeing this family member, you know, maybe for the last time. Um, I don't know. And I'm not doing a job. I'm, you know, going to have, try to have a nice time, you know, and try to live, have a you know, a little bit of a lifetime, you know, a bit of uh, life experience. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm probably going to bring my Fuji camera. I will bring a real, you know, I see that's not word for it, a real digital camera with me instead of my iPhone only. Um, but I think I might I might pack that Fuji camera with me in a few rolls of film. Uh, I don't think I have to worry about the film going through the X-rays anymore. I think they've got that problem solved. So, anyway, to be continued about, uh, you know, um, about my film experiences. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and the other thing I want to say is, like, I started talking to, uh, I mean, this is related to the film and this stuff, was uh, I was talking to Ward Rosen, who I had on the show a few episodes ago, and uh, he was telling me about a different camera, another uh, medium format square camera, a, a Yashica. And I looked it up on eBay, and the prices weren't bad, and it looks like a cool camera. <laughs> so... I don't know. You know, the film bug, I didn't know if it was going to bite and I'm not sure yet, it, it, but it's, it's itching a little bit. And, uh, it, there's just something about, you know, I never really had a nostalgia for film because once, once I could get rid of film, I might've said this before. So sorry if I'm repeating myself, but once I could get rid of film, I was like, I'm done. You know, I'm done with scanning. I'm done with all this nonsense with labs and stuff like that. And I just want to have the shots done. So I didn't, I didn't feel any kind of loss. Now that I can sort of take a long step back and look at it, you know, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm still not missing it that much. But I'll tell you what I was, you know, what I didn't do a lot of is I didn't do a lot of medium format film. Now, I think Mac was talking about this. I can't remember if it was talking just between us or it was on a show. I, I can't remember who was saying this. I know it might have been on Mac's uh, Shutter Time show, but. He was saying that he's kind of done with 35 millimeter film, right? And and I was like, most of the stuff that I did was 35 millimeter film. And I understand why he's done with it now because 
it, it it wasn't offering him much anything different than a digital experience. And, and medium and, and 35 millimeter film is just, you still end up with a small negative or positive transparency. But you still have to scan, and then you still have all the problems with it. But you don't—it doesn't have a lot of information in it, and I don't think it really changes the experience of photography. The cameras are the same, right? Thirty-five millimeter camera is still the same as a DSLR. There's nothing different about it enough. But a medium format camera, whatever it is, so you're using Mamiya, uh, Fuji, you know, Rolleiflex, whatever, or a Hasselblad, you know, you start building up to these other cameras. The experience of shooting is a lot different. You know, you're looking through viewfinders differently. You're holding the camera differently. You're taking shots slower differently. You know, with a 35 millimeter film camera, you could actually put on a motor drive and fire it. You know, shoot as many frames as a digital camera. And then you got to then you got to you know wrap up the film and put a new roll in. The film is not cheap either. And you know, you're still left with having to process and scan. You got a lot more to work with. A lot more negatives, and they're a lot smaller. And so I don't think I agree with Mac that the experience may not be a lot different. So going back into film, and I'm you know I'm staring at these boxes of medium format film. I don't think I've had this much medium format film in my presence in a long time. It, you know, going back to doing film, this is enough of a different experience than working with uh, in working with film. This is different enough than digital that it's worth playing around with. So, like in terms of it being a bug that bites me. You know, and, and, and medium format film, it's a little bit pricey, you know, but again, it's almost like my photography hobby. You know, you know I'm not shooting jobs with it, so I don't have to, like, create if I can be slow and deliberate. This is a different enough experience that it might be worth uh, pursuing. So when Ward tells me about a camera, a Yashica uh, camera that's a two and a quarter camera, or if I even think about buying a Rolleiflex, which I probably wouldn't because they're expensive, but there's a part of me that dreams about it, you know, using the same kind of camera that Irving Penn used or a similar kind of camera, you know. There's something, I don't know, there's something tingling, I would say, when I start thinking about that, a little tingle. And I don't get too many tingles about, you know, 35 millimeter film or even or even digital for that matter. Uh, it's not as tingling. Well, my Fuji cameras tingle me a little. <laughs> That's right. starting to sound a little weird, right? Tingle. I'm so excited. I tingle. I got that from a, from Spartacus, uh, the old movie. And Peter Ustinov says something about being, ex he's so excited he tingles. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's the way my brain works. So this being a different enough experience than digital, it, it, it's like a totally new thing to do. That might be worth pursuing. So the 120 film, uh, that's the that's the kind of film this is. It's called 120 film. It's not, it's not that expensive, really, per roll. I mean, relative to other things in the world. And the processing isn't that expensive. And if I get a scanner, I can scan myself uh, and, you know, deal with that. And, and that might not be such a bad thing. So to be continued, right, by episode 100, let's see where we are. You know, maybe I'll make a keep an update all the time about uh, what's going on. So anyway, talking about excitement in photography, uh, I got another thing to uh, say what I'm excited about. And it was based on, let's see, it's going to be a little bit of a story. So forgive me. No, no, don't forgive me. This is what you're here for to listen to my stories. So uh, the other week, was it last week at some point, uh, I was talking to Mark Ryerson uh, offline through our um, little collective that uh, I mentioned uh, 
last show, we were talking, our photography collective, and he was sharing some pictures that he took of some models uh, in, he used black and white film, medium format film, and he was using some uh, studio, natural studio lighting. It was lighting, he said, from the north. So it was a, a available light. And they were beautiful. There was a quality to them uh, that uh, was reminding me very much. I'm sorry to go back to this, but he's, you know, a photographer I enjoy. Reminding me of Irving Penn in some way. Uh, mainly because Penn also would shoot in a, a studio with a big, uh, he liked northern light or natural light. He would rather use natural light than uh, artificial light. So Mark was reminding me about that, and I was looking at the pictures, and they were reminding me about that a little as well. And so that was at night, and the, or the, I can't remember when that was. And then the next day, I'm listening to uh, David Swiduck's uh, episode about, I'm going to go find the title, Unleashing Your Creative Workflow in One Simple Step. And he really did a great job of telling you what the one simple thing that could could you know, spark your creativity, unleash it. And I listened to that episode. I was in a sort of a weird mood in general that day, but I'm listening to his, his episode while I'm working and he really got me sparked. And so, you know, that's, that was really cool. His, his episode really made me think about something and I'm not, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes so that you can go to it and listen to it yourself. If you're not subscribed to David's uh, adventures in creativity, I subscribe, you know, uh, I will wait right now for you to go subscribe. So, okay, now you're back. You've subscribed to Dave's podcast. Uh, he's really spending a great amount of energy uh, talking about creativity. And uh, so I, I love his show. I love who he's talking to. I love his ideas. And so I'm pushing it here. You got to go listen. Anyway, this episode, you know, it, uh, sort of sank in a little bit. Right. And that night, um, what else? I guess I was looking through my Instagram account and, I was talking to, uh, I was chatting with Mark and, and Dave on Mac and somebody, I was just ch uh, on our collective uh, uh, board, our online board, and I'm sitting on the couch and it's late at night and it's dark and I'm sitting there saying, what the hell am I doing sitting here on the couch? Why am I not making pictures? <laughs> and I was like, well, what am I going to do? It's, you know, this is the discussion I'm having in my head. What am I going to do? It's night and... I don't know what I'm going to shoot. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why don't I shoot some still life? And I'm like, well, does it mean setting up lights? This is, the, this is the back and forth I'm having. It's like, no, I don't have to set up lights. Why don't you do some light painting? And it's like, light painting? Oh. And then what I was remembering is that there's a, there's a photographer I follow on Instagram. His name is Harold Ross. And he does light painting. Now, I'll explain what light, uh, of course, I'll explain what light painting is. But let me just get into the story. I'm like thinking, I can, I can do that. And I was like, Okay, what do I need? Well, I got I need some stuff, right, to shoot. What am I going to shoot? And I've got I'm looking around. I got plenty of stuff in my house, a lot of things, you know, probably too many things. And we were having our um, this was Thursday night. This is last Thursday, right? The next day we were going to have our ceiling painted in our living room because we had some damage, and so a lot of the stuff that was in there is now out. So the room was a little bit empty, and we have the I have this big dining table from IKEA, big black one. I was just sitting there against the wall and I was like, oh, let me just go and find some of the stuff that we've had on the shelf. And I, and I pull out three things. I pull out a goat skull that I've got. I pull out a seltzer bottle and then I pull out a, another skull that's a 30 million year old fossil. And I was like, I can like paint with this. And I said, I go, I got to take out my Fuji X-T2 and it's got a time exposure setting on there. I was like, okay. And I got a tripod and, and I 
what did I do? Oh, actually, I first shot a vase, right? I have this vase, and it was like, uh, or a, uh, a, I don't know how to describe it. It's actually got Italian grappa in it from 1997, which I've never opened, and I will probably never open because I can't imagine what it's like in there. But it's this little uh, vessel, a little clay vessel, terracotta vessel, uh, and I like it. And I, and I set that up first and did some tests with my iPhone, and I'm going to describe what light painting is doing. We'll get into a second. And I looked at the results in the back of the camera. I was like, I can do this. So light painting is, if you don't know it, what it is, basically is setting up your camera for a very long exposure. So let it st let the shutter stay open in a very dark area, you know, so that you're not recording light. And then you take then you take your subject, whatever it is, and you know you set it up, and you know you've already focused on it and set your depth of field. And then you use something to light it with in your hand, and you kind of wave it around the subject and the background or whatever you want lit. And while you're doing that, the camera is recording where the light is falling. And what you end up with is this is that was a very quick explanation. But uh, if you you know if you want a longer one, go look at go look up light 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 painting. It's not it's not a crazy concept to think of. It's just what you end up with is sometimes a subject that looks like it's lit from all places at once, depending on how you've how you exposed uh, how you moved around your uh, light source while you were painting you know painting them in quotes. I'm saying painting your subject with light it can look really kind of surreal the way the light is now it can be a very um depending on how you paint your subject it could be very traditional looking you know and i was using still life so it could look like i was using a backlight and because i'm painting the wall uh with some light so i'm lighting up the background a little bit and then i'm painting painting the skull and i'm moving around and i'm highlighting certain areas of the skull all along the camera's recording this and but uh, you get this, you, you can get a very weird result. Now, I really dig Harold Ross's shots on Instagram. He spends, I know I know a lot about light painting because it was really popular in the 90s for a while. And then it became a thing and then it stopped being a thing. And now people do it once in a while. Harold does it really well. I think it's, it, light painting is one of those kind of photography is, you might think of it like HDR photography. Either you really like it or you don't like it. It's a style thing. I like it. I love looking at his work because it, it's like, uh, where's Waldo? And I don't mean that like I'm looking for something, but I spend a lot of time looking at all the details in a, in a picture that he creates. And I just know in my mind, my intellect knows that he spent a long time creating that image because you have to open up the shutter and it's for 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes or however long it takes you to paint your subjects. Now I was doing mine for 30 seconds. And so um, my shutter was open for 30 seconds and I would paint for 30 seconds and the shutter would close. I didn't just leave the shutter open. Uh, I did it for a certain amount of time. And I know I asked Harold on Instagram how long it took him to paint one of his pictures. I think he said 90 minutes. So he's going around with this subject, I th you know, whatever it is, a shelf full of stuff on it. And he's got some sort of, you know, light device, whether it's a pen light or, or something, something very finely detailed. And he's, he's going over all the subjects and it took him 90 minutes to light that one exposure. Right. So, um, so I like looking at that stuff. It, it really intrigues me. And I know it takes the amount of time, you know, I understand the sort of what it took to make that shot. So I set up the next thing I do, I set up, I shot the uh, vessel, the terracotta vessel. The next thing I set up is this goat skull. And what's happening is it, it takes, twice as long to look at the oh, how do I describe this my my ex, my exposure is 30 seconds or the amount of time the camera is open is 30 seconds right 
in a totally black, you know, blacked out room. Uh, I paint for those 30 seconds, right? And I'm using my iPhone uh, because it's what I had in my hand at the time. And I found a screen. I opened it up to iTunes. And I was cool about that. The iTunes screen was generally whitish. Uh, it was at night, so the screen was actually a little bit warmer because I've got this uh, thing that makes the screen warmer uh, at night. It's that feature is turned on. And what's nice is I can vary I can vary the brightness right on an iPhone, so I can make it very bright or very dull. So I can actually control the amount of light that's hitting the subject. Plus, it's also a nice big soft light source, which is kind of what I wanted. So I was using my iPhone, and so I would do that. I paint the skull for thirty seconds. I paint some of the well, I paint the the skull and the background a little bit, so the background would separate. You know, the skull would separate from the background. And, and then I would, and the, the shutter would close and I would go to the back of my camera and watch and it would make an, it's making another 30 second exposure because the camera is built. I've got the feature that's turned on to make a, um, another exposure to help, uh, get rid of the noise in the posture. So when you make a very long exposure, you can get all these little hot pixels and the cameras, a lot of cameras, digital cameras have these features built in that it will take another dark exposure and it will find all those little hot pixels and subtract them. Uh, so it, so if I do a 30 second exposure, I got to wait 30 seconds to see the shot. So it's a minute ish between, you know, looking at each, uh, each exposure, which is another great way to slow down, you know? So this is late at night. I'm doing this stuff and I'm looking and I look back at the skull on the back of the screen. I'm like, I like what I'm seeing. And I, I've never done light painting before. I remember, like I said, this was available in the nineties. I just never had the equipment and we were doing it with film. Forget it. That was a pain in the butt. Because if you were doing a film, you didn't even get to see it until, you know, the, the later in the afternoon, maybe, when you got it processed. If you lived in New York, you could get your film processed and see all, you know, what you did. And each time you do a new exposure, you don't always light it the same way because you're moving your hand. Now, oh, the other thing is I'm wearing black. So I'm wearing a black shirt and I got a black glove on. So you don't see my hand in the exposure. And because I'm, I'm moving constantly this light source, my hand does not get into... You don't see the shadow of my hand because you're continuously moving. That's the fun part. There's a lot of physicalness to this process. So I look at the skull on the back of the screen. And I was like, I like what I'm seeing. And so I did a bunch of those. And I did a bunch of the seltzer bottle. And then I did a bunch of the, the fossil. And each one looks different. When you look at them on you know, my Lightroom screen, you can see there's differences in each one because I just tried something different. And I spent a long time doing this. It took time. And uh, I processed three shots, one of each, the skull, the, the, the um, seltzer bottle, and then the fossil. And I was really, again, excited with my results. And I have not, uh, other than the film, getting back the medium format film, other than those, like, I really just have not had that kind of excitement. I've had excitement about photography, but there was something different about the medium format and the light painting and the light painting especially because even though i was using digital i mean i was excited to use digital then and made sense to to do digital because it you know i'm not going to do film with that yet i'm not i'm, I'm not saying no i'm never going to do film light painting and maybe i will i don't know but for this like i'm just starting something new it's a new technique and i was looking at the results and i was like this is something i created and i was really excited and what was really fun is that i haven't done still life in a long time, I used to shoot still life. That was some of the first stuff I shot commercially was still life because, and it was in winter time or not winter time. Uh, I wanted to start submitting stock to the stock agency and I didn't know what to shoot, but, and cause I worked at a stock agency all day long. And when I got home, it was at night and what would I do? But 
I started setting up a little studio in my living room and, you know, used the speed light as a light source and I would find objects and you will never, ever, I will never show those still lifes to anybody. I got them in boxes here. Those are going to graves with me. <laughs> You're never going to see those shots. They're not good, but they were good enough for me to practice still life and understand lighting. And I even used, uh, because I didn't have a Polaroid camera then attached to my camera and I had to shoot in, I also had to shoot in dark then. Um, I did something crazy then. I would, uh, you know how you get a retinal image of something like you look at something for a second and then close your eyes and you wait for a second. You can kind of see that image on the back of your, you know, it's a retinal after image. Well, <laughs> I was shooting, this is way back in the 80s. I was shooting with these flashes, uh, or maybe a flash. And what I would do is I pop, I keep my eyes open. The room was dark. I pop the flash and I close my eyes and I'd wait to see the retinal after image. And I could kind of, I could kind of see it, uh, even though it was a little, it was reversed. I think I remember, and I could kind of see where the light was falling on the subjects. And that was mainly what I was concerned about. Not the exposure because the exposure was easy to figure out with a flash. I was just, I could not really tell where the light was falling. And this was the time when there was no modeling light in the flash, meaning there wasn't a little constant light source in the flash um, showing you where the light was falling. And these days, if you're using a professional strobe light or something like that, uh, they will have a what's called a modeling light in it so that you can see where the light is falling. And today you have Polaroids, or you know, when you were shooting film, you could have Polaroids. I mean, today is digital, so forget that. But, I mean, you still need a modeling light on a flash. But that's what I was doing. So, anyway, uh, I mean, I, I always shot still life. I mean, even when I had a photo studio, I shot still life. I love doing it. I love setting stuff up on a tabletop and organizing it and then taking shots of it. There's something satisfying. So, I haven't shot still life in a very long time. And I don't mean, like, of course, I've shot stuff on tables with my digital camera. You know, I've done all that kind of stuff. But not like a something that I've set up, right? And and there wasn't much set up here. I was putting a skull on a table, right? And the, the real creativity came from the light painting and where I wanted to highlight and where I wanted like more light to hit and less light to hit and, and whatnot. And I'll put those shots in the, in the show notes so you can see them. And I was really excited. I mean, I'm still really excited. And, you know, it's, I haven't done it in the past couple of days, but like for every night I was like, I could just take, you know, it takes me two seconds to set up the tripod. Uh, then, you know, I've got my iPhone with me and then it's just like, what do I want to shoot? And basically I was just shooting something against on this table against my wall, you know, nothing too exciting. Um, I'm more, more excited about uh, exploring how light falls onto the subject. So um, I might, do that again. I'll probably do that when I get back from my trip this week, but uh, I got, you know, a bunch more things to do. And I'm looking at, I've got a lot of starships from Star Wars and Star Trek sitting up on a shelf there. And, you know, I might want to see what I can do with light painting with my starships. <laughs> I'm really curious because that's a, those are subjects that I really like, you know, and uh, we'll see. You know, I, some of the subjects are small, something like that, a Millennium Falcon up there, and it's kind of small. I think the iPhone is a little too big of a light source for it, so i got to start thinking about what I would use that's smaller so I can get into some of the details and stuff like that. But um, that might be my next project. And, you know, I was talking about this with Mac on his show. You know, what kind of photographer does that make me? Um, you know, I mean, you guys know me, or a lot of people know me as a street photographer, so I do a lot of street photography. Suddenly, you know, and then I'll do these, you know, 
urban landscapes out my window in Brooklyn, these sunrises and, and whatnot. And I've worked at the Botanic Garden. I've shot all these sort of, you know, landscapey kind of shots in a Botanic Garden. And now I'm doing these kind of light painting still lifes. And I really like them. And I think they're, I don't know, they're part of me. I like I like what they're saying. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to pursue more of that. And so does it mean, like, this is sort of a question that I was bouncing off of uh, with Mac on his last show, and I don't think we answered it. And I'll put it up for grabs here. Is it okay to be that kind of photographer who shoots multiple different, you know, subjects? Is it is it better to be, you know, focused on just one thing? Or is it okay and is it maybe even better to do multiple subjects? So, I don't know. I uh, I let that sit open. I, I'm not going to try to let, you know, myself get sort of pigeonholed into only one subject. I started putting this stuff up on Instagram you know, some of it's gotten some uh, some good feedback. Some of it, none of it's gotten bad feedback, but some of it's gotten more attention than others. You know, again, it reminds me I'm not really here to just make my Instagram uh, audience happy. You know, that's not what it's about. It's like I'm here to show the pictures that I like to make, you know. And so if one day that's a street photo and the next day is a light painted skull, well, you know, that's what it is. I'm, I'm multi-dimensional person. There are a lot of different things I like taking pictures of. So I'm going to say that it's okay. I mean, it is okay. You can do whatever you want. It's okay. We're, again, we're not here to, to make other people happy. You know, that's not that's not the job of the photographer, you know. Um, so uh, I, I like to think that, uh, yeah, that's kind of cool. So anyway. Uh, I think that's all I got to talk about today. I'm like I said, I'm going away on a trip for the uh, end of the week, uh, more personal family trip, and uh, you know I'll see about bringing my camera. I don't know. Um, we'll see about what what goes on. Uh, I I am I am a big kind of fan or proponent of recording life, you know, real life stuff on, on uh, with the camera, and. Uh, you know, I'm known for that in my family, taking pictures, you know, so it wouldn't be kind of crazy if I go go with a camera and I'm taking all these shots while we're having this party for this uh, family member and, you know, uh, see what happens. But, you know, again, I had to play it by ear. Uh, we'll see. Anyway, that's that's it. That's all I got today. <laughs> and uh, maybe in the next, uh, I'd like to try to get my friend Brian Minier on uh, on the show as well and i gotta get uh, i got a, a pending date with uh, uh gene mealy to talk about uh, one of the things i want to talk about was the uh, luck in photography and he was the um i really want to get that discussion with him so he's on my short list brian's on my short list uh and, and anybody else um a lot of other people i got a lot of other stuff going on but i just want to say that you know in the past couple weeks i really had a like a you know with the medium format and the uh and the uh, light painting, I really felt like I had a photography week or two. I mean, that felt really photography. So uh, I'm glad to share that with you guys. So anyway, um, I, that's it for the show. I, I'm going to ask if uh, you guys can uh, spread the word, tell people about this show, get people to subscribe. That would be great. Uh, I did um, 
I do have, uh, if you guys want to become a supporter of the show, I haven't set up a Patreon. I think I will, uh, seeing how nice that is for uh, podcasts. So uh, maybe by the next my next month, I might have something set up. I don't know yet. But until then, uh, if you go to the Podbean page, if you want to uh, help out with the show a little bit, buy me a cup of coffee. I wouldn't say no. Uh, there's a little, there's a, uh, you know, there's a little PayPal tip button there that you can uh, click and, you know, let me know if you like the show uh, by helping support the show. Hey, another way to support the show is if you want to buy some of my prints. I actually do have a print place set up now, which uh, my friend Brian told me about. It's another place called Dark Room. Uh, the address is Antonio dot darkroom dot tech t-e-c-h and uh that is gonna be the place where i'm gonna be selling uh selling some of my prints so uh, a great way to support the show is you can buy some of my work so go check me out there let me know what pictures you like uh and uh yeah you know we can uh, you can help me out that way anyway uh i'm gonna not steer you to switch to manual.com right now it's not under it's kind of uh not not working too much and uh, i'm not sure where the energy is going to go i am going to send you to my website which is at amrosario.com a-m-r-o-s-a-r-i-o.com and you can find me on twitter and on instagram and uh at, at well, on those two at amrosario uh you can also you know switch to manuals still there switch the number two manuals both on instagram and face and and uh twitter and uh, you can find me on Facebook. I do do Facebook. I know it's uh, the geeky old thing to do, but I, I actually have good talks on people on Facebook. So you can uh, find me there at Rosario Photo uh, on Facebook. And where else? Flickr. I'm also AM Rosario on Flickr. Anywhere you look for AM Rosario, that's where I'll be. That's the, the name I use. And uh, yeah, that's it. And so if you guys got uh, any questions or, or comments, please drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you guys, especially if you want to talk about some film stuff. Uh, I probably could learn some more stuff from people who have picked it up again. So, you know, uh, let's have some chats. And, uh, yeah, so until, uh, yeah, until February, uh, I will see you later. And if Tom was here, he'd say adios. <laughs>